0: So many of you know I've got 3 kids. My oldest Levi is 11. I've got a son Coben who's 9 and a daughter Nixon, Nixie Poo, who is 5. Her middle name's not Poo. She just refers to herself as Nixie Poo. So, so I've got 3 kids. Well, 5 years ago when my daughter Nixon was born, not long after she was born, we were changing her diaper and my oldest son Levi, who is about 6 at this point, says to me, "Dad, when are her privates going to grow in? <laughs> nothing prepares you for this. You, kids say the strangest, weirdest things, and nothing can prepare you for the things a child will ask you sometimes. Okay, so, so, she, so he says, when are her privates going to grow in? And I'm like, uh... They're not, like they're not, (laughs) there's nothing to grow in. She's a girl, she's different than you. And so from the very beginning, like our sons realize like this person is different than us, like in every way, like in every way, this girl is different than us. And the faces they give each other, like Nixon to the boys and the boys to Nixon, remind us over and over and over again, okay, they realize and they see that you are different than me. We are not the same. Okay, now anyone who would look at our kids, like 11 year old, even my 11 year old, okay, he's, he's uh, in fifth grade, he's 100 pounds already. I didn't get to be 100 pounds until I was in eighth grade. Okay, so, so this boy, he's 11 years old. He's gonna be 12 in May. He's 100 pounds, but no one would look at my son who is a boy and say, he's a man. No one would look at my daughter Nixon, who's five, and say she's a woman. Now, they're boys and girls. That's their gender. But your gender doesn't determine whether or not you're a man. It doesn't determine whether or not you're a woman. So something else determines that. And one of the things you learn as a parent, really quick, is that your kids are people. Like, they're not just Little kids they're not just your kid like these are actually people that will grow up to become men and women husbands maybe maybe if they're lucky and wives okay dads and moms like that's going to be them one day you you begin to realize this like as a parent and so your desire then becomes like part of your role your job your responsibility as a parent is to help your sons and daughters, the boys and the girls, become men and women. And because I'm a follower of Jesus, I want my kids to become godly men and godly women. And as the pastor here at Raider Church, like, I feel like God has given me the same desire and vision. Like That should be our goal as a church, is to help you become godly men and godly women. So that's what we've been doing in this series. We've been talking about what does it look like to be a godly man and a godly woman. Now, to do that, before we get into that, okay, we need to establish something. We talked about this last week. I'm going to remind you of this again. For those of you that weren't here, this will be be kind of fresh and new, but we've got to establish something, okay? The Bible teaches that God exists, one God, but in three persons, Now, we can't fully explain that. That's just what the Bible says, that the God, the Father is God, that the Holy Spirit is God, and that Jesus is God. And the Bible teaches that they are three distinct, we call them persons or beings. So three distinct persons, but one God. It's called the doctrine of the Trinity or the Godhead. So God exists as three in one. He's one God, but exists in three persons. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are unique and different, but equal. They have different roles, but they're equal. And then the Bible says this in in Genesis chapter one, that this God who exists as the father, son, and the Holy spirit created male and female. It says in the beginning, he created male and female. So there's a design there. There's a pattern here that the designer, that the creator has started, he made them male and female in his image. In other words, in his likeness. So the Bible teaches that male and female are created in the likeness or in the image of God. So every male and female has intrinsic worth and value because you were made in the image of God. Not because of what anyone else thinks about you or what you think about yourself. You have intrinsic worth and value, every single one of you, because you were made in the image, the likeness of God. But here's what's also true. Because male and female are created in the image and the likeness of God, we are different, we are unique, but we have the same value. We are equal. We have different needs. We have different roles in this life according to God's plan, according to God's design. But we are equal in value and in worth. We're different. We're unique. Different needs, different roles, but equal. This is what the Bible teaches. So our question in this series is then what does it look like if God created from the time you were conceived in your mother's womb? The Bible says that you were made male and female. God designs that. God designs it. Now the culture will teach us something else. Culture will teach us that you can choose. Or uh, that, and, and today there's a lot of confusion about this. But in the beginning, and according to the Bible, there's no confusion in God's mind. God the designer made us male and female. And female, and so what we say here is we're not going to go a different way. We're not going to believe what the culture tells us. We're going to believe what God tells us, the designer tells us to do. We're going to trust that his way is best because he's the designer. So we trust him. We trust his way and what he wants for us. We do things his way. We get to experience his best because he's the designer. When we don't do things his way, we're going against God design. We're going against design. And so what we've said here at Raider Church in this series that we want to embrace God's way, God's design, who God created us to be. And so then the question then becomes, if I've been created male, female, how then Do I live out the gender that God has created me to be since the time I was conceived in my mother's womb? How do I live that out in a healthy way that brings life to the opposite gender? How do do I, as a man, live out, embrace fully the gender that God has created me to be, designed me to be, in a way that's healthy and in a way that breathes life, that's a blessing to the opposite gender. And so what we've been doing in this series, what does it look like then to become a godly man or a godly woman? What does it look like to become a godly man, a godly woman? The man, the woman that fully embraces the gender that God's created them to be and lives it out in a healthy way that brings life. So here's what we've been looking at in this series too, in addition, is what does it look like to become the one? So often... In college, especially later in college, you start thinking about finding the one. And you have things that you're looking for in the one. But maybe, just maybe, God wants us to focus more on becoming the one than finding the one. Becoming a godly man, becoming a godly woman that the godly man or the godly woman is looking for. So here's the goal in this series. Here's, here's our hope. Here's our goal. is to help you become the one that the one is looking for. To become the one that the one is looking for and in doing so you will see what you should be looking for in the one you will see what you should be looking for in a godly man or in a godly woman now i'm just going to confess something to you as we get before we get started tonight like i'm just going to confess something to you like this the week leading up to this talk because tonight we're talking about what it looks like to become a godly woman i'm walking into tonight thinking feeling pretty inadequate okay like i'm not a woman So, I'm going to be telling women how to be godly women. And so, I'm telling my wife this, and I'm like, Could you just do this for me? Like, I don't really want to do this. I'm just being honest, okay? I'm just being honest. Like, could you just do this for me? And she's like, Babe, I'm not called to do that. Like, I don't get up in front of large groups. That's what you're called to do. That's your role. That's not my role. And I'm like, Well, how am I supposed to do this? And she's like, You do it the same way you did it for the guys, you've got a Bible. You tell them what the Bible says. All you did with the guys or all you ever do each and every week is take what the Bible says and talk about it and what that means and help, help people apply it. So you just do the same thing this week. You just use the Bible. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, now I feel better. Now I feel better. I'm just teaching, I'm just teaching what the Bible says. And here's why we go with what the Bible says. We take our cues from God's word, not from media, culture, books, or pornography. We don't look to those things as to what it looks like to be a a godly man or a godly woman or fully embrace the gender that God has created me and designed me to be in in a healthy way, in a way that brings life. We don't look to culture. We don't look to media. We don't look to social media. We don't look to books or to pornography. We look to God's word, the designer. And here's what will happen when you do that. Every time. Every time you come to God's word, every time you hear God's word, here's here's what will happen. It will challenge you. It will. It will challenge you. It will challenge the way you think, what you believe, and the way that you live. It will call you to what the Bible calls repentance, change. A change in the way you think, and the way that you believe, and the way you act. It will always do that. Listen, it will always do that, and here's why. Because often, we don't agree with God. Often, we don't agree with God. And that's a bad thing. God's not supposed to agree with us. We're supposed to agree with God. If you expect God to create, to, to, to agree with you, basically what you're saying is, is that you're, you're God and he isn't. And so if we ever have questions about life or how to do this life, or how to do relationships, we come to God. We come to his word because he's the designer. And oftentimes, it will challenge us. And listen, guys, if you are here last week, you know. Last week was challenging. It was a challenge for me. Girls, ladies, tonight, this will be challenging to you because it will confront the way that you live. But that's what God's word does to us. It shows us the right way. It shows us the designer's way. And anytime our way doesn't line up with that, we have a choice. We can either rebel from God, the designer, and do things our way. When the Bible says, when you do that, You'll go your own way thinking that's the, the right way because that feels like the right way or it seems like the way or appears the right way, but it always leads to death. And so God often in his word will, say, will, will tell his people, choose life, do things my way. Choose life that you may live and not die. God wants you to live. God wants you to experience abundant life. And if we do things his way, we get to do that. So tonight we're going to Song of Solomon. It's where we were last week. If you got a Bible, turn there. Song of Solomon. If you don't have a Bible, uh, go to raiderchurch.com on your phone. You can open up your web browser, go into our menu and select sermon notes, message notes, and um, you can follow along with us. The verses are there. Uh, the points are there from tonight so you can take it with you, okay? We'll have the verses on the screen here in just a second. But, but Song of Solomon, this book, is a, is a story. It's a song. It's a poem about two lovers, a man and a woman that love each other. They have this deep, passionate relationship. And they're pursuing one another. They, they, they want to be together. And they will talk about things often that they like about each other. They admire about each other. And they will talk about um, the, this relationship in, the terms of a, in terms of a covenant marriage. An exclusive, intimate marriage. And so we see some aspects of the relationship before they're in this covenant marriage. And then we see some very graphic things that are happening in the context of a covenant marriage marriage. And so this is a back and forth between a, a man and a woman who love each other, who are pursuing each other and who end up, it's a story about a man and a woman who end up in a covenant marriage. And so as that kind of is the, the backdrop, let's go. Song of Solomon, chapter one, she says this to the man and to the readers, to the listeners. She says this, dark am I Yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. She's darkened by the sun. So, so here's the first thing, okay? Godly women tan, right? I mean, that's what this is saying, clearly, right? Godly women tan, I mean, that's not what this is saying, okay? Here, here, here's what's happening. In this day, in this time, it was actually bad to be tan. Like today, women pay monthly memberships to get dark, to get tan, right? I, I mean, so, so today, it's good to be tan. In that day, it wasn't good, and here's why. Because it meant you were in a lower class. It meant that you worked outside with your hands. It meant that you were doing manual labor, and so you were getting tan from the sun. You worked outside. You were getting your hands dirty. And so what she's saying here, she's, don't, she's saying, don't look down on me. Because I work outside. Because I've been darkened by the sun. Because I've been getting my hands dirty with manual labor. This woman is a hard worker. She's a hard worker. She's not lazy. She's not sitting around. She's not waiting around. This woman is hard at work. So much so... She's been working so hard that she's gotten tan from being outside in the sun, working and laboring. She's not waiting around for some guy. She's not waiting around for a boyfriend or husband. Or anything. This woman is busy working. You know, in Titus chapter two, Paul says this to Christian women. He's telling Titus that in the church that Christian women should teach and train others, specifically other women, to be godly, like what it looks like to, to follow Jesus. They should be, in other words, making disciples. So, so ladies, for now, or, or at least until the day you're making babies, you're making disciples, okay? That, that's, that's what he's saying, because one day you'll have kids in your home, and you will have disciples, little disciples, people who you're training to follow Jesus. It never ends. You're called to make disciples now and one day with your own kids and with other women, you're called to make disciples. So here's what I want you to see tonight. It's this from this verse. Number one, a godly woman has purpose. A godly woman has purpose. She's a hard worker. She's not sitting around waiting for some dude to come complete her. That's not what the Bible teaches anyways. She's not waiting on a man. She's not waiting on a boyfriend. She's not waiting on a husband. This woman in Song of Solomon has purpose. She's a hard worker. And here's why this starts today for you, ladies. Here's here's why it starts today. Here's why as a Christian woman, you should be hard at work with a purpose to make disciples, to serve God. And and, and let me back up real quick, just to say, my my wife was, was doing this when she was in college. She, she was working at her church as a youth intern, like in her youth ministry that she had grown up in, and now she's working. She's leading small groups and teaching younger girls, middle school and high school girls, what it looks like to, to follow Jesus. She wasn't sitting around waiting on me. She was making disciples, and then she made babies, and now she's got more disciples. So. But she was making disciples. She was hard at work. She wasn't waiting around for, for, for me. And here's why it's important to start now. Because Proverbs 31 talks about a woman, a wife of noble character. And go, go read Proverbs 31 and see what it looks like to be a wife, a woman of noble character. Here, here, here's some of the things it says in Proverbs 31 about this wife, this woman of noble character character. She's strong. It actually talks about her arms being strong. She's a hard working woman. She takes care of her family. She's making money. She's making stuff. She's creative. From sunrise to sunset, this woman is a total boss. She is a total boss. She is getting stuff done. That's what it looks like to be a Proverbs 31 woman of noble character, a wife of noble character character. And it says in Proverbs 31 that her kids and her husband see it in her and they admire her and they praise her because of it, because this woman is a hard worker. She's got purpose. She's got purpose. In Genesis chapter two, God creates man and he looks at man and he says, this, this, something's not right here. This isn't good. Everything else that God has spoken into existence, everything else that God has created, he looks at it and says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates man and he sees that man is alone and he says, this isn't good. And then here's what the Bible says that God says in Genesis chapter 2. It says that God said, so I will make a helper suitable for him. I will make a helper suitable for this man. We need, men need, that Proverbs 31 boss. Now, some people will day will, will look at this verse and say, well, it's talking about a woman being the helper to the man. We'll, we'll, well, hold up real quick, okay? This same word, helper, is used to describe God many other times throughout the Old Testament in a way that God will help mankind. And God clearly in the Bible, is not in a weaker position than mankind. He's not subservient to man, quite the opposite. He's in control. God's in charge. He's able. He's strong. But this same word that's used for woman, the helper that's suitable for the man, is the same word that's used for God. And God clearly is not weaker or less than mankind. In fact, it's almost the other way around. The one needing help is actually in the weaker position. In Genesis chapter 2, the one that's actually in the weaker position is the man who needs the helper, who needs that Proverbs 31 boss. And so, so here's what I want you to see tonight a godly wife is a helpmate. A godly wife, the Bible teaches, is a helpmate. And so now you're pursuing being a godly woman with purpose. You're making disciples. You're serving God. You're worshiping God. You've got purpose and direction. Your are hard at work. Because one day, many of you ladies will be wives. And God has designed you to be the perfect helpmate, that suitable helper to the man. Now, many people today... In today's culture, will look at what we're talking about and even what we talked about last week and they will say this is archaic and they will revile the idea. They'll make fun of it. But if they were to sit down with this couple, or if they were to go to dinner with this couple that we're talking about, like the man from last week and the woman from this week, if they were to go to their house, if they were to sit down to dinner with them and see this woman whose husband, we talked about this last week, is breathing life into his wife, and they were to see this woman flourishing and blessed and beaming from ear to ear with a smile that is huge because of having a husband that loves her and breathes life into her, and they were to look at their kids, this couple's kids that love them and honor their parents, they would look and they would say, maybe they thought it was archaic. Maybe they reviled the idea. Maybe they made fun of it. But when they actually saw this couple and saw this family, they would say, whoa, we were wrong. This clearly works. And it works because it's God's design. He's the designer. And so ladies, a godly woman has purpose. She's a, Hard worker. That's what it looks like to be a woman of noble character. You're not waiting around for a guy. You're not waiting around for a boyfriend or a husband to complete you. No, you've got a purpose now to serve God. Let's keep going. In Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter seven, verse five. Here's what the man says to the woman. Watch this. He, he, he notices this about her. He's commenting about her. He's looking at her head to toe. He's describing her. And here's what one of the things he says about her. He says, "Your head." crowns you like Mount Carmel. Some of you are like, what in the world does that mean? Okay, here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. You've got it together. Like you're holding your head up high. Like you've been crowned with a crown. Like you know who you are. Like you, you, you believe that you are royalty. You know who you are. You're, you're strong and mentally and emotionally. You're mentally and emotionally strong. This woman has pride. She knows who she is, and she is not phased by what other people might say, by what another woman might say, by, by, by what a man thinks of her. She's not phased by those things. She is mentally and emotionally strong. So check this out. Number two, a godly woman is content. A godly woman is content. She's mentally and emotionally strong. She's secure in who she is. In Genesis chapter three, God lays out all the curses of sin. He talks about the way the the man is cursed. He talks about the way the, the ground and the earth has been cursed, and so we see tornadoes and tsunamis and and earthquakes, all those kinds of things. I mean, the earth has been cursed because of sin. And then God also, in Genesis chapter 3, talks about the curse that's upon the women or the woman because of sin. And here's what God says. One of the curses of sin for women is that they will desire their husband. They will desire, some translations say, to control their husband, regardless, either way. And scholars will, will argue both, and I, I don't really think it matters because I actually think it's both and. But, but, but regardless, here's what's happening here. One of the curses of sin for a woman is that she will have misplaced desires. She will have desires that can't be met, that are sinful. She will have desires that are sinful, and, and it's true for men too. But in this case specifically, we're talking about The the woman. And in Genesis 3, God says, one of the curses of sin will be that you have a misplaced desire. You will have a misplaced desire for a man. It's not bad. It's not wrong to have that. But when it's in a misplaced priority, when it's a misplaced desire, like that is number one, that is ultimate. It leads to several things. The curse of the sin upon the woman with misplaced desires leads to insecurity. It leads to insecurity, and insecurity always leads to things like comparison, and it leads to perfectionism. And both of those things will kill you and rob you of your joy. So let's talk about it for just real quick, just for a second. First of all, Comparison. Girls can look at another girl up and down in a way that I've never seen a guy, right? I mean, guys at least, like, have the ability to check out a girl and to do it, like, conspicuous. Like, they don't, like, like at least some guys do. Some guys have figured out, like, how to check out a girl and not make it obvious. Okay, girls don't even care. Like, another girl will walk up and they're just like... I, I mean, like, literally moving their head up and down. I, I mean, that's how bad sometimes girls will check out other girls, they won't check out a dude like that, but they'll check out a girl, okay? They will compare themselves to other girls. And listen, that will always rob you ladies of joy, peace, satisfaction, fulfillment. Comparison is always the thief of joy. And so it'll do one of two things as you continue to get older. When You get married, maybe you have kids one day. Here, here, here's what will happen. It will end up robbing your husband and your kids of joy as well. Because you'll be with them and you'll always be comparing yourself to other women or even to other moms. I mean, raising kids today is like a competitive sport. I mean, moms are comparing themselves to other moms. How they raise their kids versus the way that I raise my kids And sometimes Christians are the worst at this, just like we are at a lot of other things, where we tell women that they've got to do this or they can't do this, or if you do this, it means that your kids will end up like this or not end up like this. I I mean, it's crazy today, guys. And girls, the more and the longer that you continue to compare yourself out of that insecurity because of a misplaced desire, It will only serve to rob you of joy. It will only serve to rob your family one day of joy because you'll constantly be comparing yourself to other people, to other moms, to other families. And if you're not doing that, you're sinfully judging and slandering another woman because of the way that she looks or what she has or doesn't have. Insecurity also leads to perfectionism. And perfectionism in many women will absolutely paralyze them. And here's what I mean by that. For a dude, like a guy, like if he's not good at something, he'll still want want a shot. Like, you could tell a guy, like, you can't even read. And they'll say, give me the book. I'll go for it anyways. Like, I'm going to try. You can't do this job. Just give me a shot. I will try. I'll do my best. Like, I will try to do the best that I can to do that job. Girls, on the other hand, a lot of times, if they aren't perfect at it, they won't do it. They won't have any of it. And so that's what I mean by perfectionism will often paralyze a girl because if they aren't perfect, if they don't look perfect, it's paralyzing. If they can't do the job perfect, it will, par- and they won't, won't take the step forward. And so here's, here's what ends up happening, girls. That perfectionism will paralyze you. And here's what will happen. You won't be able to properly enjoy being a wife or being a mom or being an employee because you aren't the perfect wife. You don't look the perfect part. You, you don't, you're, you're not the perfect mom. You're not the perfect employee. And so you won't be able to Enjoy it. And then your husband, your kids won't be able to enjoy you. Because you'll be so concerned and so obsessed with where you fall short. It will paralyze you and everyone around you. Comparison and perfectionism always lead to death, it leads to depression leads to eating disorders. And for some, it leads to suicide. And so what's the answer? What's what's the answer? Well, the Bible says in Romans 12 that we can be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of our minds. You can be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. That's what it says in Romans 12. So so ladies, the more that you pour into God's word, the more that you devour the truth of God, the more you'll be able to combat those lies in your mind and with your emotions. The more you'll be able to be grounded in truth so that when those thoughts come, so that when those emotions come, so that when you're tempted to compare or to be perfect, you'll be grounded in the truth of God's word because your mind has literally been changed about all of it. You've been transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul said this in Philippians. He said, I've learned the secret of what it means to be content in any and every circumstance. He said, whether I'm poor or whether I'm rich, whether I have plenty or whether I'm in need. He said, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret of being content. We've said a godly woman is content. Content. Paul said, "I've learned the secret. I know the secret of how to be content in any and every circumstance. It's Christ." And so the woman with the transformed mind, because she's been devouring God's word, His truth. The woman with the transformed mind knows, "I am His. I belong to Jesus. I'm a daughter of the King. She's secure. She's." strong mentally and emotionally because she's been grounded in God's word. And the man looks at this woman and he says, "Your, your head, it's like you've been crowned with a crown. You know who you are. You know whose you are. And nothing anyone says or does changes that in you because you're content. You found the secret. Let's keep going. Finally, she says this in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 10 and verse 12. She says this, her, her, her brothers in, in, in this part of the story are trying to figure out what to do. They're talking about her when she's younger and they're, they're wanting to protect her from other men who would try to take her and take advantage of her or, or from her, from her own temptation. And so they're talking about, what do we do? What, what do we do to protect her? And here's what she says about herself. She says, I'm a wall. You don't. You don't have to protect me. I'm a wall. Ain't ain't no dude getting in here unless I let him, is basically what she's saying. And then she says this, but my own vineyard, she's talking about her body, my own vineyard is mine to give. It's mine to give. So she's saying she's in total control of her body. No one's getting in and she's getting control. In other words, she's got self-control. So she's saying this, listen, until that day, until that time when I'm in a covenant marriage, when I'm married to my husband, I'm a wall and my body is mine to give to my husband. And in that day, in that time, she says, listen, for for now, my body, this vineyard, it's mine to give. But when that day comes and I'm with my husband He's going to taste the vineyard. He's going to enjoy the vineyard. He's coming into the vineyard. He's going to play in the vineyard. I mean, you read the book. That's what, she, that's what happens. Literally. Literally. That's what, that stuff's in the Bible. I, I mean, you'll be shocked Like if you read this. like She's literally saying all throughout this book, play in the vineyard, taste the vineyard, enjoy the vineyard. Like, the vineyard's yours, okay? On that day, in that covenant relationship, I give myself to you. So, so, here, so ladies, here's what I want you to see tonight. It's this. It's that a godly woman gives herself to her husband. A godly woman gives herself to her husband. She says, I'm a wall. I'm not giving myself to anyone but my husband. My body, this vineyard, it's mine to give. But on that day that I'm in that covenant relationship, the vineyard is his. And, and, and here's why I'm talking about this with you tonight, okay? Because for so long, the church has done a disservice to you. Because they will say, listen, sex is bad. It's bad. It's wrong. It's wrong. And you're like, uh, listen, some of us, myself included, you kind of experienced a little bit of it, and you're like, there's nothing wrong with this. This is, this is great. This is, it can't get no righter.' okay? This is right, Okay? And the church has continued to say, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's wrong, it's wrong, wrong. No, 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 no. Listen, I think that's only half the story. I think it's only half the story. Because in the Bible, it, it's clear. You read through the book of Song of Solomon, and you're like, I I've never would have guessed any of this stuff would be in the Bible. Sex is exciting. It's good. It's great. I mean, God designed us in a way to experience Immeasurable pleasure. And so, oftentimes throughout this book, here's what you'll see. She'll, she'll say this over and over and over again Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, like until the time is right. Don't arouse or awaken love or love making until it so desires. In other words, until the time is right, until you're in that covenant relationship of marriage. But when the time is right and you're in the covenant relationship, things are arising, things are awakening, everything's good, it's great, okay? So God wants you, you'll probably never hear this from anyone else, God wants you to have tons of great sex. He really does. With your spouse, with your spouse. You you, you have something so amazing coming. But the challenge is much like Retirement. Why would you say, why would you put money away and not spend it right now? Why would you set money aside for retirement? Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Listen, one day you'll have a job and you'll start putting money aside for retirement if you're wise. Why would you do that? Why would you put money aside and not spend it right now? Because you believe in a better payoff later. You see, when we don't do things God's way when it comes to sex, we're actually decreasing our future intimacy with our spouse. That's just the way sex works. Sex is meant to be an intimate thing, which means it's exclusive. It's designed, ladies, for you and your husband. And the guy's not your husband until there's a ring on his finger, until you've said, I do. And then on that day, you give yourself completely to him. See, God wants you to have tons of great sex with your spouse. One scholar said this in one of the commentaries I was reading, he says, the Bible is to be sure, fully aware of lust and the misuse of sex, but at the same time, it is forthright in approving the wholesomeness of sex. The passionate physical attraction between man and woman who find in this the fulfillment of their deepest longings is seen as a healthy and natural thing. So, so check this out. Sex is for married people, not because God is against sex. He's for it. He created it. He designed it. He doesn't look at two people having sex and say, what are you doing? That doesn't go there. How did you, what did you, how did you figure that out? I mean, that's not what's supposed to. No, 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 no. God created sex. He's not against it, but because God is for you. Sex is for married people, not because God is against sex, but because God is for you. And so ladies, here's my challenge for you tonight. It's this, it's to become the godly woman that the godly man is looking for. Become the godly woman that the godly man is looking for. Stop being so concerned about finding the one and and what you're looking for in the one. Pursue becoming the one. Becoming the godly woman that the godly man is looking for, should be looking for. And you do that today. You start now. You start today so that one day you can become a godly wife. And watch what happens with a godly wife. A godly wife breathes life. And if you want this to be true of you, if you want to be a godly wife one day that breathes life into her husband and into her family, If you want that to be true of you one day, then it starts today, it starts now. Pursue becoming the godly woman the godly man is looking for. And as I say that, I know there's there's two things I I, I wanna tell you. Number one is this. I know many of you are here and you're like, "That, that hasn't been me. I haven't been doing that. And the great news of the gospel is this is that today, if you will begin to pursue God's best for your life by doing things God's way, it's never too late. It's never too late to experience God's best for your life. If you will start doing things God's way today, you can still experience his best. That's the great news of the gospel. It's never too late. And so if this hasn't been you, If you fall short on every one of these things or if you've made mistakes here or even if you haven't and you just haven't really been pursuing becoming a godly woman, today is the day. Now is the time to start. Forget what's happened last week, last month, last year. Today is the day. Now is the time to pursue becoming a godly woman. So that's the first thing I would tell you. The second thing I would tell you is this. If you're saying, man, that's not me. I haven't done that. I don't... I haven't done that. I'm not even sure I could do that. I would tell you this, you're right. You haven't and you can't. You can't do this. This is, this is God's word. This is God's standard. And we always fall short. We always do. I said this last one. we were talking about being a godly man or a godly husband that I fall short of that. I can't do that. But what that does in me, when I look at God's standard, when I look at the, the measure and I realize I fall way short, here's what it does. I, I realize I can't do it. So if there's someone that could help me do it or that could do it in me, for me, then I need that person. I need that savior to help me, to rescue me because I fall short. Ladies, there was a a woman in the Bible who came in to dinner. Jesus was eating dinner with this Pharisee and, and she comes into the dinner. She kind of, she breaks in. This woman's a prostitute. She's totally out of place. She's not supposed to be there. In fact, the religious man, the Pharisee that Jesus is eating dinner with is disgusted by her presence and can't even believe that she's in there. And here's what she does. She comes in, she's a prostitute. She comes into Jesus. This is the son of God. She's a prostitute. She comes in, she falls at her knees and she opens up this very expensive bottle of perfume and she starts to clean Jesus' feet with it. And she starts crying and her tears are dropping on his feet, no doubt because of the guilt and the shame that she felt from her sin, from falling short, from not measuring up. She takes her hair and she begins to clean his feet with her hair and with his perfume and with her tears. And the religious man, he's disgusted by this. He can't believe this is happening. But Jesus tells the religious man that what's happening in the woman, he sees her heart and he says this. He says, she loves much. She's displaying love. She's showing love for me. She's displaying much love because she's been forgiven much. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. And so Jesus says to this woman, you've been forgiven of your sin. Now, when you study this passage, you'll learn. But this woman was already a follower of Jesus. She had already been with him. She'd already been walking with him. She'd already been following him. And so when Jesus says, go, your, your sins have been forgiven. Literally what he's telling her is I'm reminding you, your sin has already been forgiven. So, so, so go, You're free to, you're free to go. This woman, knowing that she had been forgiven of all of her sin, that her debt, Jesus said, had been canceled. Everywhere that she had fallen short had been canceled. It had been forgiven. She knew that already. And so she comes in because she knows how much she's been forgiven. She falls at the feet of Jesus and she cleans his feet. And Jesus is basically saying, he's reminding her, your sin has been forgiven. The debt that you couldn't measure up, that you couldn't pay has been forgiven. He's reminding her of it. He's reminding her of something she already knows and has already experienced. And so tonight, ladies, guys too, you don't measure up, you don't, you've made mistakes, you're you're broken. As a follower of Jesus, let me remind you, it says in Colossians 2, that the record That the record of your sin, everywhere you've fallen short, everywhere you don't measure up, the record of your sin was nailed to the cross. And the devil will come and he will try to remind you of your sin. And he will try to hold you back because of the mistakes you've made. And he will try to tell you tonight, you can't become a godly woman. Why even try? Why even start? Look at all the ways you've fallen short. Look at all the ways you don't measure up. Let me remind you tonight the record of your sin has been nailed to the cross and you are free. You are free from your sin. You're free from the penalty of your sin. You're free from the shame of your sin. Everywhere you don't measure up, everywhere you've fallen short, you are free. It's been canceled. It's been forgiven. Jesus is reminding you tonight, it's been canceled. It's been forgiven. Now go. You've been forgiven much. Now love much. Go. You are free. Your sin has been forgiven. And so tonight... You're free to pursue becoming a godly woman, regardless of what your past has looked like. You're free, you're free to pursue this and to live it out, not in order to be right with God, but because you've been made right with God. We love much because we've been forgiven much. We're not forgiven because we love. We're not forgiven because of our performance. No, our performance has been forgiven because of that and because of that freedom we love much we display our love we show our love we follow Jesus we love Jesus we worship Jesus because we've been forgiven much you're free to become the godly woman that the godly man is looking for it's never too late would you pray with me Ladies, if you're here tonight and you would say, you know what, this hasn't been me. I don't measure up. I've fallen short. I've made mistakes, but I, I want to pursue, I want to become that godly woman that the godly man is looking for. I haven't always done that, but I want God to do it in me and through me and to help me become the godly woman. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up real high and say, that's me. I want to become the godly woman that the godly man is looking for. God, I pray for every hand that's raised. It looks like almost every hand in the room. And God, I, I, I pray that you would give these women a heart for you, a great love for you, because they know how much they've been forgiven. They've been forgiven much, so they love much. They want to follow you. They want to worship you. They want to serve you. And so God, would you give these women, God, strong purpose? God, would you give these women a contentment in you, in Jesus, knowing that they are his? Would you give these women the strength, God, to save themselves and to give themselves completely to their husbands? God, give them a desire a passion for becoming a godly woman. Amen. And now, would you stand all over the room? We're gonna stand. Our team's gonna lead us in worship. And, and here's what we're gonna to do tonight just to complete this series we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. And, and the Lord's Supper is a meal that followers of Jesus take. Jesus told us to do this. And He told us that when we take the Lord's Supper, Here's what we're supposed to remember and to celebrate. We're supposed to remember that his body was broken for us. That's what the bread represents. We're supposed to remember with the cup that we take that his blood was shed for us. And and, and so tonight, as we remember this woman who came and knelt at the feet of Jesus and Jesus said she loves much because she's been forgiven much and he said to her and he said in front of this religious man, He said her debt, her sin has been forgiven. It's no more, it's gone. The record of her sin has been nailed to the cross. Listen, what did that for you was the body and the blood of Christ. Guys, you are free to pursue becoming a godly man because the record of your sin has been forgiven. Your debt has been paid for. It's been paid in full. Ladies, you are free to pursue becoming a godly woman because his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you to remove the debt of your sin. And so as you feel led, as we sing, feel free to come forward and to partake in the Lord's Supper. We're gonna worship together. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy, for your grace towards us. God, that you forgave us all our sins, that the record of our sin was nailed to the cross and we are free. We are free from the penalty of sin. We are free to serve you and to worship you and to love you with no shame and with no hesitation because of what you've accomplished for us. God, thank you for your body that was broken for us, your blood that was shed for us. In Jesus' name.